Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy-to-use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. As soon as I arrived at his house, Graham offered me a big bowl of chilli, a cup of tea, and he put on a Bob Dylan record in the summer house that has become his Expedition HQ. The walls were covered with maps and pins and lines of string showing the route of the big plans that are building. When Graham retires from the police next year, he and his little pooch on dog Tilly will set off to try and walk 120 marathons in 120 days. Tilly, by the way, very sensibly, will only be doing four miles a day. Graham's route will take in every county in England, through Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Ireland and the Channel Islands. And then, just because it sounds nice, he'll cover the 850-mile Camino de Santiago for good measure as well. I did my best to wind Graham up by asking him, first of all, whether he wasn't far too old to be taking on a challenge of this magnitude. Graham, have you ever been on a podcast before? Never. Do you know what a podcast is? I do now. <laughs> you are my ideal victim. Someone who's never been on a podcast and doesn't really know what it is. A victim? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a policeman. I have to watch my language. <laughs> a victim, you say, young man. <laughs> I was uh, filming some bothies around Scotland a while ago, and I needed to get to one for sunset. So I was hammering along, and the unmarked police car comes out behind me. <laughs> And I didn't notice for ages. And when they eventually spotted me and pulled me over, they said, what are you, what are you doing? Well, no, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just racing to get to see the sunset. And they said, racing, did you say? <laughs> like, oh, I didn't mean racing. <laughs> to watch my language. Um, so we're sitting outside your shed. What do you call it? Uh, we call it the summer house. Summer yeah. house. Very, yeah, it's your shed, summer house, operation headquarters. You've, got the rec- you've had the record playing some Bob Dylan. The wall, you've got, that's your partner in crime, who I think we'll, in, we'll meet shortly. But you've got on the wall, you've got the maps and the pins and the route and pieces of string and the adventure is up and running. You've got your shirt on, but you're, getting, you're, you're 52, aren't you a bit too old for adventures? At 52? Yeah, you're past it. Isn't that when life starts at 52 for adventuring? I don't know, you tell me. It is for me. Okay. Obviously, missed out when I was younger. Got married really young. Had my children really young, and now it's my time. Okay, so yeah, you uh, you got married at twenty-one. Yeah, 
and you went straight from school to police, essentially. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been a policeman for? Uh, well, I was in the military police for five years. So I joined in 1986, joined the military police in 1986, and leaving North Yorkshire Police in 2019. Wow. So as of when? When's your leaving date? October. As of October, you're. Uh, Retired. Mr. Wilson. Mr. Wilson. What are you at the moment? PC. PC Wilson. <laughs> Brilliant. PC Wilson um, is going to retire. I mean, police retirement, not proper retiring, as in you were going to be 52 um, and you're going to go and have a massive adventure. We are indeed. Uh, does it, does it, what, what do your other friends who are 52 think about the idea of you walking 120 marathons? Some of them are going to come and join me. Some of them think that I should just be going to line on a beach, and others think I'm just barmy, a barmy Yorkshireman. So, out out of your other friends who are 52, what sort of percentage of them do you think would have the fitness to go do a big walk? I don't think it's just fitness, really, Alistair. I think really it's wanting to do something for yourself and maybe setting yourself a bit of a challenge or a bit of an adventure, and. Not everybody wants to do it, and that's fine, isn't it? You know, we're not all the same, and if people want to do it, and if people want to come and join us on our adventure, that's great. But it's something that we've been planning for a couple of years, as you can see from what you can see in the summer house. It's it's not just been done overnight, and, yeah, we're ready for it, and, you know, March can't come quick enough. Okay, yeah, you start in March. So why do you want to go and walk 120 marathons in 120 days? Well, initially it wasn't 120. I think initially we were going to go walk around the county, uh, each county in England. And then we said, well, it'd be a bit unfair to miss out Wales and the Channel Islands and Scotland and Ireland and Northern Ireland. <laughs> and then my wife said, well, I quite fancy the Camino routes as well. So uh, when we added them up and a couple of days on a ferry, doing them on the ferry, it amounted to 118 and it didn't have that ring to it, 118 Marathon Man. So we added a couple more and now we've got 120 Marathon Man. I, I love that because um, when I, I, in my youth, uh, cycled around the world. and But that wasn't how it started. My first thought was, I'd love to cycle to India. That'd be amazing. And then I looked at the big map and thought, well, if I've got to India, I might as well go to there. Yeah. And I really like how things grow. Um, and I think what's interesting of that is you have this idea of, I'd like to do a big walk. But step by step, you talk yourself into something far bigger, don't you? We have done, yeah. yeah. Well, I say we have done. I think I've talked everybody else into doing this. So, But they are very supportive. Um, okay, so you told me, oh, initially you wanted to do this walk and it grew into 120 marathons. Uh, so I'm going to ask again, why did you want to go on this walk that grew into 120 marathons? Well, we, we've always been big hikers and sort of, done some of the long distance walking and some of those cha challenges and I think now having the time to do it you know not many people can sort of take four months out of their busy schedules and go and do something we're at that ideal opportunity now where we finish work in October my wife Marion finishes work in February we're setting off in March and we can just take four months out without worrying about bills and everyday things which we, everybody does don't they we all worry about paying mortgages and paying bills and making sure we go to work and you know the cars on the road and all those everyday life sort of things obstacles that we put in the way of doing adventures and we're sort of thinking well actually we're just going and we're just going to go do it yeah. and 
Brilliant. And that's how that's how it is. And yeah. we just and probably when we come back, we'll set up the next one. Right. Okay. You you, you think that? Yeah. Might don't be... tell my wife that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She won't listen to the podcast. Does she, does she, she know what a podcast is? <laughs> no. And okay. we won't tell her. Okay. <laughs> so it's um, interesting then that you don't think this is you, you're not seeing this massive challenges. I'll go do that. Scratch the itch. And then I'll go join the old policeman's golf club. No, definitely right. not. I think, not. I think, you know, when you get stung by nettles and you get lots of little spots on your calf and you scratch one, but you still got the others. I see it a bit like that. I'll come back and have something else to do, something else okay. to scratch. Okay. Um, so this is going to be my third asking of the same question. Um, why do you think there's all these itches to scratch? I think we've, I don't think I've missed out. I think that would be the wrong sort of thing to say. That sounds negative. Yeah, and I don't think we have missed out on anything because we have done lots. But I think this is sort of something we've wanted to do from a personal aspect in that we love walking, we love being in the countryside, we love being in the hills, we love being out in the rain, we love being out in the snow, we're going to meet all sorts of weather. I mean, the worst part of this journey is probably going to be the ferry trip because I'm not looking... I'm not I'm not a sea person at all. And you have to walk a marathon on the ferry. Each way. Each way, yeah. Yeah, so that'd be great. Um, so, yeah, there's that to contend with. I think out of everything we're going to do, they're probably the worst two marathons. But going back to why this, it will be so great, I think, to... If I said reconnect, because obviously being a policeman, you miss out on quite a lot of things, shift work and everything else. And I think being married 32 years, it'll just be great to get away with Marion. We're going to be away for four months. She'll probably get fed up with the sight of me after a week. She'll be glad she's driving and I'm walking or vice versa. <laughs> and I think that's probably going to be the biggest aspect of it. And looking at all the money, hopefully, that we're going to raise for the different charities. Yeah, that you have big aims. Well, how much money are you hoping to raise? Uh, we've, got, we've set a target of half a million pounds for the 15 different charities. And that's massive. And I know it's massive, but we're on with it. We're on with events. We're on with getting sponsors. And we'll see where that takes us. Why, why have you set a goal of half a million pounds? Why didn't you set something a bit more achievable, like 50,000 pounds? Is half a million not achievable? You tell me. I think it is. Why didn't you set 600,000? Because, as you know, I'm quite, with numbers, everything's got to be rounded up, like 118 marathon, 120. Half a million sounds better than 600,000. Okay, so it's essentially just think of a massive number and go for it. Yeah. I like that. It's not, um, I think there's, there's an interesting difference between choosing a, something that you know you can achieve, let's say 50,000, which would still be a lot of money, because you, you, I think, I think we could say, probably achieve that before we even set off. Yeah, so you know you could do that. But you don't know if you'll get half a million. That's basically lick your finger, think of a massive number, isn't yeah. it? Does that not, you're not daunted by the unknown of that? Uh, no, we're spurned on by that. And we're spurned on by organising all the events and getting everybody involved. And, you know, you look, when we come back, we will probably have had thousands of people involved with this, either people we've spoken to, people who've come to events, people who've donated on the Just Giving pages, and you think all those thousands of people we don't know just sort of helping thousands of people that they don't know, you know, through supporting what we're doing. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, you're in quite. You're going when you start this. You're in quite a fortunate position of you'll have um, both the free time to do it, and you'll have retired with a, um, a pension. Yeah. So the, the thing that stops a lot of people in their adventures is lack of time or money. But you're in a nice position there. So what in your head are the or if there are any, are there any barriers and obstacles that you were worried about before you thought? Because you could have said, oh, we'll go on a nice walking holiday, but was there anything, barriers that you were scared about committing to a really massive plan like this? No, and I think, I know we're in that fortunate position that we're going to do what we're doing and we're going to finance that ourselves. But we've never, we've not always been in that position. But we've always gone and done things with the things that haven't been expensive to do. You know, right, girls get your bikes, put the tent on the back of the bike, we're off. And you might travel, because we did it in Settle, we used to travel from Settle, and we used to travel to Orton and Ribblesdale on the bikes, which was six miles. And we used to camp in the field for the weekend. And we used to go play in the river, and we used to climb up Ingleborough. That didn't cost lots of money. That, and to us, that was adventuring, you know, cooking on a little fire and things. So you don't need lots of money. I think we're quite good at saying, but this and but that, and, and I've been as guilty as that, you know, as anybody else. But with this, we are in that position where we can do it. And what daunts me most is probably leaving my 25-year-old daughter in charge uh, <laughs> while we're away. I tell you what, this looks like a party house. Your nice, really nice tender garden, a <laughs> few 25-year-old parties in here, it's going to be wrecked. Yeah, I'm just going to make sure my daughter doesn't listen to your podcast as well as my wife. Thank you for yeah. that, Alistair. You need some of your PC friends you haven't yeah, retired come round. to pop yeah. round. Yes, it's like a local <laughs> curfew. <laughs> Harrogate's reputation is going to go from being all lovely to party town of the yeah. north. So what are you worried about from the trip? What's scaring you? What, what, what do you think? Are you scared of failing it? I don't think we can fail it because as long as... As long as we keep fit, and there's no reason to think that I'm not going to keep fit, then when you look at where we're going and what we're doing, yeah, we may have to have contingency plans. But again, as long as we can do a marathon a day for 120 days, which is what we've set out to do, yeah, if there's a ferry delay, so we may have to do a, a marathon somewhere else. I wouldn't see that as fail. We'd fail in that we're not doing the route that we've planned. That, but, does, that doesn't matter. But that doesn't matter. That that is the what you see there is the basis of our adventure we know 120 days there's going to be some the wheel's going to fall off the ferry's going to not run or the car's going to get a puncture and we don't get somewhere or but as long as we do the marathon a day and it would be great to visit every county in england wales and scotland which is what we've got planned but i'm sure in four months something's gonna come up and and it's living with that isn't it and not getting too frustrated with that and we're, we're quite easy with that. That's the basis, and anything happens. If that works to plan, brilliant. What about if you get to 87 marathons and you do it and you can't carry on and you have to quit? How will you feel then? Alistair, do I look like somebody who might quit? <laughs> well, it's really interesting. I've been interviewing you now for 13 minutes and 47 seconds with quite probing questions, and... You are relentlessly positive. I can't. What I would say is with what we've planned, 
And going back to, yeah, the plans don't always get fulfilled, but there's a basis for it. We train every day to do this. We train every... There's days when you think, I can't be bothered getting up for this. But you get up, and they're the trying days. There's days when you get up and the sun's shining and you leap out of bed and you go off and you do half a marathon. Brilliant. There's days when you lie in bed and you can hear the rain and you've got to get up and go out. So when I think of what we've done since Christmas this year, the miles we'll have put in before we set off in November, you know, you consider we're doing 100 miles a week at the moment. That will increase when I retire from work. It's sort of failure's not sort of there, if that makes sense. I don't want to sound too, oh, yeah, I'm never going to fail, I'm going to do this. And It's not in my, I won't say it's not in my DNA, but with this, it's like my baby and this is happening short of breaking both my legs I will be doing a marathon a day if I break one leg I think we'll still manage wheelchair marathons there we go they still count yeah yeah brilliant I like it um what does the phrase living adventurously mean to you I think doing something that's different to the day to day you know we all get up we all go to work we all come home we have tea we sit and watch telly we might go to the pub and it's doing something different, but doing something that this, yeah, this is all right. This is exceptional. You said doing that, you're bonkers. But for some other person, doing one marathon might be their adventure, whether it be going on, on a bike or riding or on a scooter or walking it backwards and taking the tent and camping out. That is no different to what we're doing because to them, that is their adventure and this is ours. So anything out of that norm, I would say, is an adventure, you know. But I think some people don't see that. I think some people think, I want to go climb Everest, or I want to go Kilimanjaro, or I need to walk, swim across the Atlantic or the Channel or whatever. And they seem to think that everything's got to be massive on a grand scale for it to be an adventure. Well, actually, as I said earlier, me travelling six miles down the road with the kids on the bike with a tent and going to the post office... You know, and buying a lollipop and cooking, that was an adventure. So I think it can be a whole range of things from those sort of days out or nights out, before or after work or on a weekend, or something like this. Something massive. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, can I ask you a couple of questions about the police? Yeah. How often in the police do you get to do something really exciting, like driving really fast or chasing someone, or rugby tackling someone? You're probably asking the wrong person because I've had an office job for the last couple of years. Okay. So, but prior to that... The, the young whippersnappers. Prior to that, you know, that can be an everyday occurrence, really? you know. You know, racing to a job or going to catch criminals. And, yeah. and certainly the response cops here, that will be an everyday occurrence for them. And other places, you know, everywhere in all the big towns, York, Scarborough, Harrogate included. When you put the blue lights on and start driving really fast, do you feel quite cool? I think you have to keep that level of not seeing red mist. Yes, yeah. Uh, and you've got to, because you think you're driving, maybe on the wrong side of the road, going through red lights, but you're trained to do that with the police and you're heavily trained and you have all the training courses. Yes, yeah, sometimes it goes wrong. And, but you think when you're driving it fast like that, you're trying to think for every other driver on the road. And there you go. Did you, did you pay for that to happen? There you go. 
Um, I love whenever the, you get the sirens coming behind, the blue lights, I always feel a sense of community heroism when I do a really good getting out of the way. Do you? Yeah, I right. think, yeah, right. I'm part of this. Your part of it. Is that your part? Yeah. Is it you're playing your part by you getting me, out of the way? We're getting that bad guy. I'm getting out of the way efficiently. Yeah. I think Very it looks good. brilliant. Yeah. Um, is being in the police good if you're a nosy person? Because I, what would really interest me, some of the areas that you go through where I imagine some of your more regular customers might live, um, I'd love to go and sort of go into their houses and have a chat with these sort of people because... My friends are all boring and don't really spend much time chatting to the police right. <laughs> uh, for the wrong reasons. So I'd, I think I'd just be really curious and nosy. Do you find that or not? Yeah. So my, having a look round. My good lady, Ryan, says to me, you do realise when we leave the police and we come back, we'll have to move because you can't go anywhere without wanting to have a snoop. And she said, and we need to take you away from that because you know the areas, you know the people and you're always following people around town and watching what they're doing in the supermarket. And she said... It's just you're just nosy. Really? Okay, that is actually that's you're just always nosy. Always, stuff. always. Ah, that is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, because presumably you have fairly regular. You don't call them customers, I'm sure, but the, no, they are customers. Oh, do you? Okay, yeah. I'm sure you have fairly regular yes, customers we do, yeah. who you know you know them pretty well as yeah. the same sort of families. Yeah, and, um, and sort of same sort of crime that they yeah. commit, and yeah. You, you get the regulars. Yeah, the regulars. And do you have a sort of relationship with them of, I know what you're doing, you know what I'm doing, that sort of... Of course you do. You do? Yeah, yeah of course you do. And they know the game. Yeah, they know the game. And that's what it is, it's a game. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know what I've done, but you have to prove it. Oh, uh, right, that's okay. All. Yeah. Gosh, I'm so innocent. I need to go commit some crimes. That would be an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, one of the things I'm doing, I'm going around Yorkshire, asking people's advice on life from all sorts of walks of life. So, if you don't mind, I'd quite like to ask you some questions as a policeman, as an old man about to go on an adventure. Less of the old. <laughs> um, we have something in common there, don't we? Well, yeah, same birthday, we yes. do. Um, so, here's a pack of cards. We'll shuffle them if you want, take one from the top, whatever you want to do, and then pick a card, and uh, we'll do a few of these questions, if that's right. Just you, pick one. Yeah, you can ignore them if you want, if you don't fancy any. Anything you do say may, however, be used on this podcast against you. If you could live your life over, what would you do differently? Mm. Are they all probing questions like that? Yeah, these, yeah, yeah. All oh, right. I've done with the daft questions now. Now it gets hard. Okay. So far, I've made two people cry. All right. Uh, I'll try I, would be a good, I would be a good policeman. Yeah. We don't make people cry. <laughs> we help people. If you could live your life over, what would you do differently? Travel more. Travel more as a family. Probably add more adventures. I think that's the only thing. I'd still be a cop. If I was young and able to do it again, I'd be a cop, knowing what I know now. I think that's the two things I'd do. What about you? Something you've mentioned to me a couple of times is that because of the nature of your work, you worked hard and you missed out on a lot. Do you think you might have done a bit less work and more time hanging around at home when you 20 years ago or not? No, I think that's the nature of the job that you do anyway. And 
you know, it's not just cops who do that, all emergency services and other people, you know. Loads of people. A lot of people now don't just work nine to five. They work in the evenings, they work at the weekends. So we're, we're not a breed of people that used to just, we're the only ones who do that. There's lots of people out there doing that and, and all doing the same thing, you know, missing birthday, missing anniversaries and things. And that's just the nature of working, I think, now, isn't it? But again, do you use that as an excuse not to go adventuring? You know, use the time wisely. And I think when I look back, I think, oh, we should have done that. Oh, we should have done that. But it would probably all centre around travelling a bit more. Okay. See, that's why all the travel plans are coming now. Yeah. Then. Okay, next question. Pick one. Oh. Tell me about how you find a balance between work, play, money and family. Well, I've always been fortunate in the police that I've always had that really good work-life balance. Um, I've always worked locally. So, yeah, I've never really commuted to work. So, Was that a choice? Always a choice. So whether I worked in Scarborough, I worked up in the Dales. York was probably the furthest I travelled to work. And then here in Harrogate, I live and work on the doorstep. So it's always been great. So, yeah, so so finding that time, if there is to be a balance, that was it for me. I've always worked doing what I wanted to do in the place. And again, opportunities you could have taken, you maybe don't take them because... Yeah, it might take you away from home quite a lot. So we never took those choices. So those are the choices that I've made, not sort of imposed on me. Money and family. Yeah, well, family-wise, we've always sort of been the four of us, you know, wherever we've been, because my family don't live close by. My wife's family live in Northern Ireland. So whatever family we've had, we've always had the four of us. And that's quite nice. Yeah, sometimes when you need somebody for childminding, <laughs> a bit far to travel. But and money, well, I think for money, you cut your cloth accordingly. And I know what I've been earning as a cop. I was never going to earn more than that, but it's given us a good life. We've been able to do what we want, um, and now we get to a stage where, yeah, we're fortunate. I'm going to be 52 and retiring, which is a nice position to be in. And I know not everybody can be in that position. But let me tell you, the money that you're paying to a police pension, when the children are younger, you could think, I wish I had that money now. Okay. But now, I've paid into it all those years, and you cut your cloth accordingly. It's quite nice, actually, to reap the benefits of that. So, a bit of a financial pensions advice from a PC Watson. Um, do you, um, would you recommend that freelance people, people like me, bums and hippies and vagabonds and layabouts, make a bit more effort in their youth to save for their pension? Yes. Okay. I think I think you have to now. I think you have to because if not, you know, nothing... is the state pension going to be about when you're older? No, because you you've know? taken it all, retiring, going off on your holidays. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want next... to do another one? <laughs> yeah, please. How could you be happier? You're giving me a good Yorkshire frown there. What is this nonsense? No, could this, I could be happier. I don't think I could, actually. I'm, I'm quite content and happy with my lot and what we're doing and how we're all, how we're all getting on. And How brilliant is that? And yes. Yeah, nice know, you, are you aware of that? Yeah. It's brilliant, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. We are, we are happy and, you know, life says it's up and downs, but you make the most of those and take the positives from all of it, I think. And I'm not just saying that. I think you, 
always have to take the positive out of everything and then because I think we have too many I think there's too many negative people especially with social media and you know you, I mean I didn't go on to social media until last year with Marathon Man starting and it was sort of a way to get the message out there um, whether I'll stay with social media when I come back I don't know it's from your from your um, time in works being out in the communities do you think are most people, are most of your clients, are people happy, do you think, generally? I always, I always think of, I would think we deal, 95% of the people we deal with in the police force are genuinely hardworking, nice, honest people who are trying to get on with their lives. Yeah, some of them find it struggle financially and work-wise and maybe mental health, a lot of mental health issues and things. So... I think 95% try their damnedest to be happy or are happy. And we just have that small percentage, don't we, 5% who try and ruin that for people. And then when you look at their lives, you know, whether it be in custody or you look at some of their issues and you look at maybe where their lives come off track, you know, and if things were in place for them, maybe from some sort of a young age when a lot of these people have issues from and sort of take it into adult life, I don't think we really deal with that as society. I think we just let these... Because it's 5%, I think we let them just get on with their lives and pick up the pieces and police pick up the pieces and mental health pick up the pieces and, you know, maybe Horizons or the drug... Well, alcohol people, you know, the dependency sort of agencies, they then pick up the pieces. And I do think we, in society, we don't look at the root cause of a lot of problems... You know, you look at the drugs policy now, and I'm not going to get political, but you look at the drugs policy now, and is there one? You know, is there a drugs policy now that people know what they're doing? We're going to legalise cannabis, we're not going to legalise it. Yes, we are, no, we're not. We've done it, we're changing it. It's, people don't know. And I think there's a lot of issues out there where there's no policy, and and I think that has a knock-on effect. So what role do you think, if any... Um challenges and adventure and walking and being in the outdoors and nature could have for those for that five percent of the population it's absolutely massive if i could get some of those people to come with me and come what they don't need the best gear they don't need brand new trainers they don't need that just come and walk and i i tell you now since we've been doing this and we've always kept ourselves fit we've done a lot of sport we kept ourselves fit passionate i believe that since Christmas this year, I have not been this fit since I was 30. And I don't just mean physically, mentally as well. Just mentally and physically feel so... I don't know. So alive with it, really. And I think if people just take little steps and they don't have to go and walk 26 and a half miles a day, come and walk a mile, come and walk two miles, come and join in. And just doing something out of the norm... We'll get people, you know. But I completely agree with you, and I suspect everyone really would agree with you. But these, the people who really need this, like the the, the troublemakers who you see yep. all the time, it never crosses their mind to go for a walk in the but hills. But why not? I don't know why not. Because I guess <laughs> if I had the answers to yeah, that, is it because I mean? So I'm. I spend a lot of time trying to encourage people into the outdoors and into adventure, but I'm really conscious that I'm preaching to the converted. So how do 
we get to these young people in these turbulent life, cyclical lives and say and get them out into the hills. Alice, did you say earlier before we were talking, you going to schools and talk to, what's the purpose of that? The purpose of those is, I suppose, in that sort of line of trying trying to tell people about, well, it varies. There's, there's sort of talking about different cultures yep. and uh, trying to encourage them to be a bit bolder and take some risks and that you don't have to follow a unconventional path, yep. a, a conventional path. So, yeah, I suppose there's that, there is that sort I, of things. I've, I've... I've spent a lot of time going into schools. I mean, before when, when I was over in Settling you know, up in the Dales, we used to teach kids how to ride their bike. That was our role going into schools and educating them and sort of pointing out to them that whatever is thrown at them through home life and everything else, there is another option. But it's how you get them to take up those options. I think that's the issue. We. I don't think we educate enough, you know, and when I say we, I think society as a whole, going into schools and educating young people, I think there's distinct lack of sort of any cohesion with education and training. And I think we miss out on a lot of vulnerable people in schools who are just left. And I think, I think if we went into schools and other services went into schools, I think we'd pick up on a lot of these young people a lot earlier and then they're not going into adulthood a bit lost. And I think we miss a trick. And I think if we got in earlier, then I think we would probably encourage more people to do simple things as their adventure, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I guess a lot of young people get into crime because it's really exciting and fun and thrilling and adventurous, isn't yeah. it? So... The challenge is to channel those things. I'd, I'd, I'd maybe think that only a small handful get into crime because it's exciting. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think there's a lot deeper issues than that. You know, I think there's a lot of peer pressure. I think it's a means to an end when people don't get benefits or, you know, the financial implications. And then addiction. I think addiction feeds a lot of crime you know you only have to look at what's happening now with sort of the county lines type sort of which i'm sure you know about county lines and you know people moving into new markets including harry you know harry gets a new market for drugs from people out of town and cities coming here and it's just a business model that isn't it you know people are bringing that business here because there's a market for it but how do those end users pay for their drugs and their and they commit crime. So I think not everybody does it because they get a buzz out of it. I think some of it's here as the only way to feed their addiction. Okay. Um, but if, if, if you, I'm sure in your head now you can think of probably a dozen people you see quite regularly and um, wouldn't it be great if you could get them to just come Just join give them a shake. Well, give, well, either give them a shake or <laughs> get them to come join you for yeah. a, yeah, for a couple of would. hours walk yeah. and, you, yeah. and that could have a real impact on yeah. them. Well, I hope that your adventure will reach out to many people in many ways um, above and beyond raising £600,000. Uh, 500 Well, go for six. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tilly. Tilly is your co-pilot on the walk. She's on your badge. So we'll yep. let, I think it's good we'll let Tilly have the last word. But thank you very much for... Uh, 
inviting me to your Operation HQ and good luck with your adventure. No, thanks for coming across. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <coughs> Tilly. Tilly, what do you think? Hello. Cats. Would you, any final words? I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. I teamed up with Kamut to make this podcast happen. In case you missed it, Kamut is an outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is through their inspiring collections. Are you exploring a new area and not sure where to begin? Type in where you want to go and local collections will suggest a number of cycling or hiking tours based on the most scenic routes. It's a great way to get started exploring in a new place, particularly if you don't know where to begin. Wherever you find yourself, your very own outdoor experiences are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com slash chi and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.